Luke chapter 5. Last week we ended in verse 32. So this morning, we're going to start in verse 37. Luke chapter 5, verse, I'm sorry, 33. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. And the word of God says, Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but, he will, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts a new, new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins it will spill, and the skins will be ruined. New wine is put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants new, because he says, the old is better. Now, to get an accurate picture of what's going on here in this passage, we have to step back just a little bit uh, to see what had already taken place. In the final passage that we covered last week, we read that Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, held a large banquet for Jesus. While he was there, the Pharisees and their scribes began to complain about why Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners. The Lord then responded by telling them in verses 31 and 32, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, here now it appears that not only were they upset at the disciples as friends, but also at their obvious joy as they fellowshiped with Jesus and their guests. Sadly, this is what happens when people don't experience joy in their religion. You see, they can get so caught up working on becoming holier, holier than others that they can't see godly joy when it's right in front of them. So rather than rejoicing with those whom God is blessing, they try to sour the mood by pointing out flaws and making critical comments. Now, I remember hearing the stories of of when Calvary Chapel first started back in the late 60s, early 70s. And, and during that time, hippies started coming barefoot, stinking, I mean, smelling like drugs and alcohol, whatever. And, and they just would come and sit on the floor, sit on the carpet. Now, at that time, many Christians, they just couldn't accept what God was doing there. They couldn't accept what was going on there because they had allowed the insignificant to become significant. People were bothered, not just people that were going to that church, but other churches. You know those churches that you know, have a certain, you know, they, they're, so, they're used to going to church in suits and ties and 
and wearing their Sunday best. And in their minds, in their heads, that's the way church was supposed to be. But again, they were allowing the insignificant to become significant. And so they were so focused on the do's and don'ts that they lost sight of the bigger picture. Thousands were coming to Christ and being born again. So in a similar way, instead of being open to the work God was doing, these Pharisees and scribes began to look for anything at all to criticize him. Well, when they began to smell and see the food that was being passed around at that banquet, at that feast, their empty stomachs began to, began to growl, it's not fair. So this time, instead of complaining about, about why, he wasn't, why he was eating and drinking, they switched tactics and now began to criticize him for not eating and drinking. This time, though, instead of directing it towards his disciples, they went straight to the source himself. They wanted to know the reason his disciples weren't fasting and praying as often as the disciples of John the Baptist or their own. Now, if you think about it, in all reality, they really didn't care what John did. In fact, they didn't like him very much. They, they didn't like him because he was always calling them out on their hypocrisy. They were only referencing him to mask what they were really trying to say. Hey, Jesus, we notice that your disciples aren't fasting. We fast every Monday and Thursday, plus the holidays, and make prayers at noon, at 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. daily. Why aren't your guys doing the same? Now, in no, way was, in no way was the Lord suggesting that fasting wasn't important, nor was he minimizing the value of it. He was well aware about the spiritual benefits of fasting from his own 40-day experience in the wilderness. I want to share with you what J.I. Packer said regarding fasting. In Scripture, we see several purposes of fasting. It's part of the discipline of self-control. It's a way of sharing that we depend on God alone and draw all our strength and resources from Him. It's a way of focusing totally on Him when seeking His guidance and help and of showing that you really are in earnest in your quest. It also at times, it's also at times an expression of sorrow and deep repentance something that a person or community will do in order to acknowledge failure before God and seek his mercy. We tend to think of fasting as going without food, but we can fast from anything. If we love music and decide to miss a concert in order to spend time with God, that's fasting. It's helpful to think of, a, of the parallel of human friendship. When friends need time together, they will cancel all their activities in order to make that possible. There's nothing magical about fasting. It's just one way of telling God that your priority at that moment is to be alone with him. 
sorting out whatever is necessary and you have canceled the meal, party, concert, or whatever else you have planned to in order to fill that priority. Let me tell you, whether you do it in a group or you do it on your own, fasting is a personal decision that you yourself are willing to commit to. It shouldn't be forced upon you, either by guilt or manipulation. You're not obligated to do it, nor are you less of a Christian if you don't. And even if you live your entire life without fasting, I don't believe God will hold it against you. However, the Bible presents fasting as something that is good, profitable, profitable and beneficial. So if you're going to, here are a few things to consider. Decide what the fast will be, how long it will be, and the reason for it. For example, fasting from social media for 30 days because it's negatively affecting your Christian walk and your love for others. You're seeing these posts from friends and family members, and you're like, that guy's a jerk, and I can't believe they have this view or they have that perspective and man and, and, and you start to feel that anger towards that person and, or that family member and, and even you start to notice certain things you know, that are you know, keeping you from your relationship from, with God, your devotional time with God, your prayer time, um, you're spending too much time, you're, you're noticing maybe you're, you're, you're getting addicted to social media. So those are the things that's maybe an example of, of fasting. Now, fasting and prayer are often linked together. While you're fasting, you should also be praying. Now, fasting isn't, intending, isn't intended to punish the flesh, but to redirect our focus on God. If it is a food fast, it shouldn't be considered a dieting method. It shouldn't be one of those things like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to try to lose 10 pounds, so uh, I'm going to fast. You know, I'm going to do a, a biblical fast or a church fast for you know, 10 days or whatever. Um, that shouldn't be the reason. That, that, that's the wrong purpose or motive. You see, the purpose of a biblical fast is not to lose weight, but rather to gain deeper fellowship with God. Fasting isn't a way to get God to do what we want. It's meant to change us, not God. And lastly, fasting isn't a way to appear more spiritual than others. It's to be done in a spirit of humility and joyful attitude. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 16 through 18. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they make faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
So what the Pharisees had done here was that they took fasting to a totally different level. And now they were trying to make it the standard practice for all people. They were basically saying this is how it should be done and it needs to be done. And when it wasn't done, they started to criticize and point fingers. Well, instead of getting into a theological argument with them, Jesus applied the issue of fasting to a wedding as if he were the groom. He said, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them. In those days, a wedding feast was a week-long event. And it was typically understood that joy and celebration was more important than conformity to religious rituals. So, for instance, if a groom was celebrating with his wedding party during one of those many times of fast, during one of those many hours of, of, of prayers, it wouldn't be a big deal if it wasn't practiced. So what Jesus was implying was that it wouldn't be appropriate for his disciples to fast while he was still with them. He then added that eventually, yes, the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And here, by this, he meant that one day he'll be rejected and be put to death. And then his disciples will fast as an expression of their grief. But until then, it wouldn't be right for them to act as if they were at a funeral. As Christians, we shouldn't feel bad or guilty about having a good time. And we also shouldn't feel horrible if we decide to abstain from certain things we enjoy for a certain period of time. You see, doing this reminds us that our Lord is in heaven and that we live in a broken world that has rejected him. So the point is this, whether we feast or fast, our business is to get the word out to people who need him. Now before the religious leaders could make a counter argument, the Lord gives them three parables which are meant to teach he had come to present a new and better way. The first parable he explains, in the first parable he explains why you can't tear a patch from a new garment and place it into, onto an old garment. The point he was making is that he didn't come to patch up the existing form of Judaism, but came to do something entirely new. You see, the old garment refers to the old religious legal system, while the new garment speaks of the new era of grace. The old way of the law and the new way of grace are incompatible with one another, and any attempt to mix the two will only result in ruining both. The new will have a hole in it, and the old will have a patch that doesn't match it in either appearance or strength. In his second parable, he explains why it's foolish 
to put new wine into old wineskins. If unfermented wine is put into brittle wineskins, it'll eventually burst from the pressure caused by the gas and both the skins and the wine will be ruined. So what is he saying here? What he's saying is that there's that, that, that there was um, that the new life of the spirit could not be forced into the old wineskins of Judaism. The outmoded forms, ordinances, traditions, and rituals of Judaism were too rigid to hold the joy, the exuberance, and the energy of the gospel. So by saying that new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, he's implying that the message of the gospel must be put into a new institution, the church, which brings the Jew and the Gentile together into a completely new body. Now the Lord is also making us aware that what is old and stagnant cannot be renewed or reformed. God will often look for new vessels to contain his new work. And until those, uh, until those vessels eventually make themselves unusable. This applies to people individually as well as churches corporately. For here's what happens. When people are touched by the Lord and filled with the Spirit, the new wine of joy and vitality begins to bubble within them. But they will discover that, like Jesus following his own baptism, they'll be driven into the wilderness, into battle, into hard times. And it's at this point that unwilling to face the difficulty or challenge, the temptation or trial, they burst, give up, and go back to the predictability of their previous ways where they can just go to church occasionally, put a dollar in the offering, and just play the Christian game. So does this mean that we're doomed to become brittle old wineskins, unable to contain the new work of the Lord at any given time? I don't think so. You see, the Greek word translated new in, the, in relation to wine is neos, but the word translated new in relation to wineskins is kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, and literally means renewed. In Bible days, wineskins were relatively expensive. So when they began to get hard, those who didn't have money to buy new ones would soak the old ones in water until the elasticity and flexibility returned. What's interesting about this analogy is that the scriptures are likened unto water. So how do we stay flexible, usable, and contemporary in whatever the Lord might be doing both corporately and personally? We soak ourselves not in traditionalism or denominationalism, but in the refreshing waters of the word 
you see if we make the word the priority in our lives, the emphasis of our ministry, it'll have a softening, renewing effect on us. And this is why I put an emphasis on reading and teaching the scriptures. This is why that's, we, we worship and, and the majority of our time is spent reading and studying the scriptures. Because that's what it's meant to do. It's, just, it's, it's, a, it's meant to have that renewing effect on us. But when the Bible no longer has predominance or priority in the life of a church or an individual as it, and in, instead, as instead replaced with programs, traditions, denominational expectations, rigidity is sure to follow. Here's the thing. There's only one place a believer can't stay. They can't stay put. This means they're either growing and expanding in their walk or they're shrinking and weakening in their walk. Your faith is either more radical today than it was last year or it's less so. So if you desire radical growth, if as a church we desire radical growth, then you, we must be determined to regularly soak in the word. And the more you soak in it, the more you'll experience the continuing renewing, new discoveries, new understanding, constant softening. And then you'll find the Lord pouring his new wine into your wineskin. The third parable states that no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. Now, to be honest with you, I don't really know anything about wine. Even when I used to drink, I never drank wine. It just wasn't something that it was just something girls did and I was too macho to, 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 to drink wine. Um, so I don't know much about it. I wouldn't be able to tell you what old wine tastes like, what new wine tastes like. To me, it probably would taste just the same. I don't know. Again, I wouldn't know. But what I do know and what I used to drink a lot of is Coke. And I can easily tell you that if I'm drinking the real thing, I can tell the difference between Pepsi or just even that cheap imitation stuff that you'll see at one of the other stores. Um, I can tell. Well, maybe some of you guys or gal and gals remember this, but about 35 years ago, American Coke drinkers almost lost their minds. You see, in 1985, the Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola company reformulated its recipe and introduced new Coke. However, the American public reacted negatively because it tasted completely different from the old. It didn't taste the same. People were upset. People were angry. You know, I'm sure they, they were possibly, they were up to the point of rioting. I, 
Again, I was about 10 years old, but I, I, I remember. Thus, New Coke was considered a major failure. The company reintroduced Coke's original formula within three months and rebranded it as Coca-Cola Classic. So considering that, let me now put verse 39 another way. No one after drinking original Coke wants new Coke (laughs) because he says classic Coke is better. Well, Jesus here is making the point, is pointing out a person's natural reluctance to abandon the old for the new. Judaism for Christianity, law for grace, shadows for substance. And perhaps you or maybe someone you know are also reluctant to abandon old familial and cultural traditions for the new wine of the gospel. Now, I'm not here to, to bash any denomination, any, any, any faith, but I know how I grew up in the tradition and, and denomination that I, that I grew up in. And as I mentioned in the beginning of, of, of when I started here, that that was all I knew. And, and when I became a Christian, I started sharing the gospel with many of my family members. I realized that for them, there was no way they would convert, even though it made sense, even though it was appealing, they wouldn't convert because that was part of the culture. And maybe many of you know what I'm talking about. That was... That was part of who you were. And it's sad. It's sad because people will live their whole entire lives, 70, 80, 90 years old, hearing the truth of the gospel. They don't have to do all these things in order to get saved. They don't have to. These traditions aren't really anything. Faith in Christ alone is what saves us. You see, it's hard for people like that to accept the new way of following Christ because the old, the old way is more familiar and comfortable. Jesus came to introduce something new, not to patch something old. This is what salvation is all about. In doing this, Jesus doesn't destroy the old, the law, but fulfills it. Just as an acorn is fulfilled when it grows into an oak tree, there is a, there is a sense in which the acorn is gone, but its purpose is fulfilled in greatness. This entire chapter points in one direction and that's to present the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in as many ways possible so that everyday regular people might hear and have an opportunity to choose to to choose whether to reject it to reject him or to accept him 
Regrettably, those who choose to reject him were the religious Pharisees and scribes. So though they were experts, they were supposed to be experts of the law, they completely missed the meaning of their own scriptures that pointed in, to Jesus, in Jesus' direction. As the physician, he had the power to heal broken minds and bodies. Yet he also had the power to forgive sins and empower them, empower his followers to do his work. As the bridegroom, he brings new love and joy. He gives us new garments of righteousness and the wine of the Spirit. He gave three fishermen and a tax collector the power to catch people for Jesus, to spread his church, and to bring masses to hear the gospel. But just as they all made a choice to trust, believe, and follow him, everybody has a choice to do the same. You have a choice as well. You can accept what Jesus has to offer or reject him and move on. However, again, let me state this fact. Everyone must make the decision for themselves. Your parents can't make it for you. Your children can't make it for you. That decision is up to you. And you can choose to say no, or you can choose to say yeah, but let me tell you that if you choose to say no, there's going to be eternal consequences. They may not be consequences here right now, but you never know. You don't know when your last moment of this life will be, when your last breath will be taken. And will you be ready to be face-to-face -face with the Lord? Well, if you've chosen to reject him, the Bible says that he will reject you as well when you get to heaven. There is no second chances. Your opportunity and your chance is here and now. You can say, oh, I'll do it when I'm older. I'll do it when I have a family. I'll do it when I, you know, have kids or grandkids and when I'm retired or but really how do you know you're going to live that long however if you choose to accept him if you choose to open the door to your heart to him he will come in and radically transform your heart he will come in to your heart and give you a new and better way all those ways, all those ways you thought Christianity was or how you grew up thinking Christianity was supposed to be, he's going to completely transform it if you just allow him to. When you start reading his word, you're going to see that a lot of those things, they may be good and they may teach you a lot, but they're... His word will bring just the truth to light. 
it will just become powerful to you and it will speak to you powerfully. Again, don't get me wrong. The only reason I know about God and I know about Jesus and I know about the cross and I know about many of the stories of the Bible was because my mom would sit down with me and do like a Catholic devotional with, with us. And she would pray with us and she would tell us about Jesus. And as I said, I don't, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't know anything about God. So I'm thankful that she planted those seeds in my life since I was a young kid. However, I got to an age where I needed to make my faith, my faith my own. I didn't understand those things about the Catholic. I just couldn't accept many of those things and many of the practices and what was going on. And, and so I started asking questions and I started wondering what the truth is. And, and finally, when I accepted the Lord, He started really speak to, speaking to me through His Word and it changed me. It changed how I saw Christianity. It changed how I saw Jesus. It changed how I saw the cross. It changed how I saw the resurrection. And it changed me. And if you choose that path, if you choose that road, yes, it will be bumpy. Yes, there will be obstacles. You may lose friends. You may lose you know certain things that you enjoy doing but it'll all be worth it it'll all be worth it because you will now have everlasting life and you don't have to ever worry about where you'll be when you breathe your final breath here on this earth so if you're watching listening if you're here and and you feel are feeling that tug in your heart if you feel the Lord speaking to you and telling you come to me come to me I want to give you life I want to give you abundant life listen don't wait another day so if you've resolved and you're determined in your heart to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. I want to lead you in a prayer to accept Him into your heart. But first, I want to just share with you, I want to tell you that you need to, it's important for you to understand that you're a sinner, to accept responsibility for your sin, that you are a sinner and that you've failed. God has offered a plan. He's offered a way. Instead of doing all those that those religious things, those religious works, he brought his son to die on the cross for your sins. To wipe away every single sin, past, present, and future that you'll have so that you'll have eternal life. So if that's you and you're willing and you want to accept them into your heart and you want to be born again 
wherever you're at, close your eyes, bow your head, and repeat this prayer with all your heart. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for all that I've done to offend you, to hurt you, and to hurt others. And now I repent of those sins. I believe, Lord, that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. And I confess him now as the Lord and Savior of my life. I accept your forgiveness. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit, Lord. so that I may be born again. I want to walk with you, Lord. I want to know you more. I want to fall in love with you more. Thank you for doing all that for me. pray this in Jesus name Amen if you pray that let us know get a hold of us get a hold of that Christian friend that family member and and tell them tell them the good news tell them that you're saved and that you're born again and they really love you if they really care about you they're going to rejoice with you and they're going to start, you're going to want to help you in your walk. And we want to help you in your walk. So get a hold of us. Call us. Email us. Let us know. Um, we want to hear from you and help lead you into your next steps in your, in your walk with Christ. Now, as I close here, the lives of four men completely changed when they encountered Christ. And he will do the same for you. He wants to do the same for you. And then the story ends with, this chapter ends with a wonderful story of, of how he came to offer a new and better way. Will you accept that? Will you, will you be okay with that in your life? And, because he wants you to. Again, the old way of doing things is incompatible with the new way. He cares about you. He loves you and wants you to have a new and better life. So with that, I'll close and with a word of prayer, and, and we'll have one more song afterwards.
Lord, thank you again for this time, and um, I pray that this message went out and seeds were planted, Lord, that it, it completely changed the perspective and views of those that, that, that needed to hear it, Lord. I pray for those that are having just a difficult time changing the old ways of doing things. I pray that you will also soften their hearts so they may see how good, how wonderful, how beautiful the new way is. Your, your, your new wine, Lord, the wine of the gospel. May they be filled with it, Lord. May they be satisfied with it. And may they not want anything else to fill them. Change us, Lord. Transform us individually and as a church. May we just always be soaking ourselves in your word, in your truth. Lord, we don't want to be, we want to be more radically transformed, radically transformed, Lord, and we don't want to be the same person five years from now that we are now. We want to just be more in love with you. We want to be more on fire for you. We want to be sold out for you, Lord. Thank you again for bringing us all here together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.